Welcome to Talking Infrastructure, the fortnightly podcast brought to you by global infrastructure company ACOM. In this series, we'll be discussing the hot topics, key projects and innovations that are helping to solve some of the world's most complex infrastructure challenges. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Talking Infrastructure podcast. My name is James Banks and I'm head of external relations in EMEA for ACOM. For today's podcast, we're going to take a rather different approach than normal. We're going to get a little bit political. Don't worry, we'll still be focusing on infrastructure, but with a political twist. It's fair to say we're living through a rather interesting, some might say worrying, time in British politics, with Brexit dominating not only the headlines, but also the political agenda. And now, on top of everything, we're staring down the barrel of a Tory leadership contest to find out our next Prime Minister. So, over the next 30 minutes, we're going to try and put Brexit to one side and focus on what the priorities should be for the next Prime Minister with regards to our country's infrastructure. Here to help me keep the agenda fixed on infrastructure and away from the B word, that was Brexit, not Boris, is my regular co-host, ACOM structural engineer, Roma Agrawal. Roma, hello, how are you? I'm, I'm good. This is going to be a challenge keeping us away from the B word, I think. We'll, we'll do our best, we'll do our best. We've got a, a fine couple of guests here who are going to help us. Firstly, today we have ACOM's chief executive for the UK and Ireland, David Barwell. Over a career spanning more than 30 years, David's vocational background has been in the planning, design and delivery of major infrastructure programmes. He has a keen interest in how projects are contracted, having worked under many contractual conditions from the very adversarial to the highly collaborative. His experience covers the UK, Australia, Asia and the Middle East. Welcome, David. Hello. Our second guest is former Conservative Member of Parliament and Energy Minister Charles Hendry, CBE. Congratulations on the CBE, which I hear is a fairly recent addition. <laughs> Since leaving Westminster, Charles has been appointed to a number of roles, including a visitor professor at the University of Edinburgh, president of the British Institute of Energy Economics, of the Fuel Poverty Charity, National Energy Action, and an honorary fellow of the Energy Institute, as well as being an advisor to ACOM. Also worth noting that he was Chief of Staff to the former Foreign Secretary, William Hague, when he became leader of the Conservative Party. Welcome. Thank you. Charles, may I start with you, if I may? Clearly, we all understand, I would hope that everybody in this room and this building understands the importance of infrastructure. For the next Prime Minister, realistically, how high is it on their, on their agenda? You know, is it, I like to think it's the first thing on, in their entry, but that probably isn't the case. It's the second thing. In their entry, I think that the first thing is Brexit, and getting that sorted. Or we whatever lasted happens. how many minutes? Two minutes yep. before Brexit. But I'm moving no, okay, swiftly, okay, okay. seamlessly, and swiftly on. But once that's out of the way, which of course is a big if and when, then they've got to look at what they do to persuade the British people that the pain has been worth it, the misery has been justified, and that there's a vision for taking the country forward. And then I think you'll start to see quite an expansionary approach being taken. They'll be looking to put more money into the health service, more money into education, and a lot more money into infrastructure. So this is going to be a really interesting time. And I think where we'll start to see pressure is they'll be looking at some of the long-term big projects and saying, should we move some of that money to where it'll deliver jobs and real improvements rather more quickly? Uh, how do you actually make people feel better through infrastructure projects? 
So do you think there could be a, a, new, a new dawn and, and actually see some movement? Because there is a lot of uncertainty, I think, at the moment, around, particularly around the big ticket items. And I'm thinking of HS2, Heathrow expansion. They, they're being used a lot within what the, the politicians are talking about at the moment. I think so. I, I think you'll start to see potential reviews about maybe both of those. And then that the focus will be saying, what can we do which actually gets shovels in the ground really quickly? Mm. So we'll be seeing a lot of housing projects, we'll be seeing road improvements, we'll be seeing commuter rail improvements. So people say, you know, I can actually see a difference. The next election has to be by 2022. This process is less about infrastructure and more about politics. It's how do you make people feel that there's a government with a sense of purpose and a sense of direction, which is going to make them feel better about what's happened recently. David, what effect is, is this uncertainty having on the industry? You know, how damaging is it? Are you hoping for a bit of, finally, a bit of direction on what's happening with these, as I say, these big ticket items? I think any time in any industry, you know, clarity is what people look for because it allows you to plan and allows you to invest. But it's not just those projects, that, you know, them and themselves, it's what they lead to, isn't it? Because a lot of infrastructure leads to linking place, place making, other investments we talk about, you know, which you know linked to things like housing as well. It was interesting when we were talking about, you know, HS2, we're starting to see conversations now about Old Oak Common. So if there's doubt about HS2, there's doubt about Old Oak Common. Old Oak Common is, you know, significant housing, which we're working on as master planners, as you're probably aware. So all, all of that then just starts really opening you know, an awful lot of uncertainty. The other key area for us about sort of uncertainty is about building up skills and retaining people. I mean, there are people obviously now a little bit nervous about what's happening in the UK. They, you know, they might be here or they might have got opportunities to go and work elsewhere. And questioning, you know, right now, is this the place to be? Having moved off, you know, we, we start to deliver big infrastructure projects, you know, coming off, you know, there's a lot of skills that have come off big projects like Crossrail, going on to HS2 and those types of things. It's really important to build up that sort of big pipeline of infrastructure projects. And, and that's a worry then, isn't it? Because I, I was thinking back to when I first started my career nearly 15 years ago, and I had this quite fairly rosy outlook at the time about all the building that was going to happen in the UK. And, you know, part of my experience was working on the Shard, working around the London Bridge area, which has obviously completely changed in yeah, the last decade yeah. or so. You know, what are young people looking at for their future careers in infrastructure? Well, they might be looking at a slightly similar to that thought, because... I mean, just personally, because you introduced all the countries that I lived in, and largely was the background of planning of, of mass transit systems. And when Crossrail, the original Crossrail was cancelled, so we'd done Channel Tunnel and Jubilee Line, original Crossrail was cancelled, we got up and left. And it's interesting, you could end up, you turn up in Singapore, and I ended up turning up in Sydney, and you go to these various places, and there, there were... The other Brits, I mean, you know, people yeah. had just left. I mean, mm. you know, they had done that, you know, they had built up this experience. So I think people are, well, one, people are, in some cases, you know, quite transient. You know, people do move around. They do really want to build their CVs and they want to build them quick. And they will look around to find those best opportunities, much like I did, you did, and other people, you know, I'm sure. And they will, they will do that. They will go and follow where the big infrastructure projects are. And Charles, do you think the candidates are concerned about skills shortages and, and a potential brain drain of talent from the UK? I don't think they would be that focused on it at this stage. I think that they're saying, look, let's create the demand for the skilled workforce. Let's get some of those projects moving forward. 
some of the candidates are people who we know love big ideas and big projects and pretty visionary in some of those. Whether they're buildable is another question. <laughs> and uh, I think their view is then the skills will will follow. And so hmm. in the past, we've often brought people in from other parts of the world, just as Brits have gone across the world hmm. and taken on projects elsewhere. So if people know that there's a, a long-term commitment to developing some very significant projects, which will see them through a number of years of their career, then they're going to stay here rather than looking to move somewhere else. Surely it must, it must be quite an interesting transition for a politician who's perhaps been very focused on the constituency issues. Maybe we look at, you know, HS2 and Heathrow, you know, a local politician very concerned about what's going to happen to his constituents. So suddenly being propelled to being looking at the, the nation as a whole and actually having to balance well, these are the benefits that you know, HS2 is going to bring. It, that must be quite a, a challenge for some, or is it... I mean, how are they briefed, and how do they deal with that kind of... Well, let's bring in the second B word in that case. OK, which go is, on. Which <laughs> is <laughs> Boris. Yes. And uh, he, he goes to the heart of those two yes, issues. Yes, the constituency <laughs> as I said, I realised I was leading you that way. Now, Boris got to be careful, because he has expressed some views about business which were not entirely flattering. It was using words which I wouldn't wish to use on a family podcast like this. And he's got to show that he is somebody who really believes in business. And if his first decision was to cancel uh, the Heathrow expansion, if it was on HS2, then people are going to say, look, your heart really isn't with business. And that will then set the tone of his premiership. So I think he more than almost anybody else has got something to prove that he is an ally to the business world. And uh, that is one thing to spend a lot of money, but you've got to have the right attitude for businesses to feel confident about investing here. So I think he has a bigger challenge than others have to do in that regard. I wouldn't be surprised. I think most of the candidates will probably suggest, and not unsurprisingly, that HS2 should have some sort of quick review. But then they want to get beyond that and they want to get things moving forward. And I think we'll start to see clarity in the autumn about what their priorities are going to be. So this is not a long delay. That mm. they've, they've only got two and a half years to the next election. So they can't afford to spend a year doing this and then to start planning and to mm. hope things will be happening. They've actually got to show this year that there's real progress happening. And how important is collaboration of the politicians with the industry? Because clearly there are so many different projects and studies. There's National Infrastructure Commission. There's various institutions around that have recommendations for what the future of infrastructure should be for the country. How much are we collaborating across politics and industry? I think industry has to do a lot to get that agenda back because I don't remember a time when politics has been so insular and it's politicians talking to politicians and their party members and is not really engaging with the wider world. And that's because it's been a nakedly political period for the last few years. So there needs to be a much better dialogue. I'm not sure the politicians are ready to do that. And so I think business is going to have to knock on their doors and say, look, we've got great ideas. We've got the expertise. We've got the ability to help you deliver your vision. Involve us in that program and you can make it happen more quickly, more sustainably, uh, more cost effectively. And if you don't, then it's a pipe dream. So that dialogue has to happen. And I think business has to be more upfront in helping to make it happen. Mm. And so, David, what's your perspective, I guess, from coming from the other side? It's an interesting, that one, because there are, I agree totally with Charles, and there has been some outreach from government. And I'm thinking, Charles was talking about the market-led proposals that the Department for Transport put out, that we've responded to with the um, Heathrow Southern Rail, which is a private sector venture, which we are considering. But then it loses momentum. 
And it's, you know, an art to make something like that, to, you know, to come out to the market and talk to the market about these, you have to make them real, don't you? You have to, have to come up with a trailblazer project or something and go, there you go, you know, and take a bit of risk and just say, look, we're going to support you as the private sector. And for the case of the thing, something like Heathrow Southern Rail, the risk that we are asking for is just to give a usage undertaking to say, if you build it, we will encourage people to use it because there's, there's all there's the Office of Road and Rail, the regulators, which will do all the pricing mechanisms and all the rest of it. It's just having that little bit of leaf of faith. So I, it, it is certainly a two-way thing. And I think we, we were quite involved with working with DFT to trying to create that environment of business lobbying government. And I like to think that we were, we stimulated that debate enough to create the market-led proposal scenario that government came out with or DFT came out with, but now's the time to really sort of push it more. Can I just add to that as well? Because on the other side of the coin, there'll be people pushing quite hard. There'll be communities along the HS2 route, there'll be environmentalists who are worried about the disruption and things. And so they'll be saying, cancel it. It's a waste of money. Put the money somewhere else. So there's got to be a strong voice of people saying why it matters, what it delivers in economic growth terms, what it delivers in terms of UK skills and output. And if the business world isn't doing that, then I'm not sure who is going to be doing it. So sitting back and yeah. being silent at this time is a, quite a risky strategy. And ACOM has thousands of people across the country. They should be knocking on their MPs' doors. Mm. They should be saying, you know, this project matters. And so that they're hearing this message loud and clear. It's not just about what the company does centrally with Westminster and Whitehall. It's about what happens at a local level where the offices which are involved in these projects are saying and making a strong economic message as to why the country needs these projects. David, do you get, uh, are you concerned that politicians often see the, the big ticket price for these projects rather than looking at the benefits? And I'd be interested to know, Charles, how much politicians are, are briefed on the benefit, the long-term benefits as opposed to this is how much something is going to cost. Well, I think they are very involved with the benefits, but I, I take Charles's point that we, re, we really need to keep reminding people and actually, you know, being very clear on those positions. And by the way, we are doing that. We are doing some of that, Charles. We're, yeah, not, we're, not, we're not sitting back and particularly no, 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 through organisations like, you know, things like the AC. But I do, th I mean, th there's an interesting piece around HS2, you know, in my mind, which is about... If you look at London, and you look at London as a city, it'll always survive, you know, it's, it's a global city, you know, it transcends any of those other sort of macro, sort of global geopolitical debates, discussions, B words, all the, all the rest of it, you know, it'll carry on. And how you link that and work that we've done around cities and Roman sort of knows about, you know, the hour city, you know, cities used to be the size was an hour, but if you can get to Birmingham in less than an hour, we're in an hour, it becomes, you know, you are, it, it links everything in. And I think, that conversation around what happens in the south, the north, how you link all that together, you know, is all very much part of the conversation as well. So maybe just moving to a national problem, but one that I guess we might want to solve a bit more locally. Curious in your thoughts, housing. Where's housing going to be on priorities, do you think, Charles? I think very high, because you can start building quickly. There's land which is available, which has got planning consents, mm. that uh, you can therefore start to move forward and make things happen. That will create skill shortages. It will create raw material shortages. The modular housing approach, and ACOM's got obviously a big stake in that, is something which could be really exciting and important part of how you address this. If you want people to feel better, about what their government's doing, then more housing, more affordable housing 
is part of that process. Do you think that's happening now or, or why aren't we doing it now at the scale we should be? Because we haven't seen enough money allocated to it. And that the, a number of the Conservative leadership candidates have signed up to a paper which was written last week which called for a almost £200 billion release of public expenditure. And a lot of that would be going on projects like housing. And I think you'll see money coming through to local authorities. So you start to see more local authority housing, uh, either directly or with housing associations, and say that you're really dealing with the affordability element in, in that as well. I think if you look around this country, I don't recall when homelessness was as bad as it is. When people stop thinking about Brexit and they look at the rest of the country, they're going to say they're things which I don't like, I'm not comfortable with. And if the government wants to be elected on a domestic agenda, which it will have to be next time round, then they've got to show that they're tackling those issues effectively. And I think, therefore, housing gets a lot of priority. And, David, what do you think about the collaboration again between public and private sector in the housing arena? They certainly do, do need to come together and quite often you end up with the sort of chicken and egg situation, don't you? And I'm thinking of some large sort of housing projects or nominated corridors of which good infrastructure would unlock those areas mm. for housing. But you have to then, because you, you, know, you then create the value and you lead to the, you know, the conversations around value capture, around you know, around stations and the like. Looking at all of those in the whole, I think can be done much better. And I know parts of, in some areas, if you look at the, you know, Cambridge Oxford Arc, you know, for example, I mean, that's a very interesting scenario in terms of how you bring in, you know, existing landowners and, and landowner expectations of land, developers, the return on investment of development, and putting in the essential infrastructure like railway links and all the rest of it, driving the green agenda and all these types of things, and how, the, how that gets funded and how you unlock all of that. There is quite a bit of work being done by Housing England looking at those sort of types of scenarios, and I know that we are involved with that. But unlocking that mechanism, it's a good discussion, and I think Oxford-Cambridge Arc, I'm hoping, is going to really try and sort of find, you know, go some way to finding an answer to that. So it always comes back to infrastructure, doesn't it, James? Sounds like. <laughs> it all comes back to infrastructure, <laughs> absolutely. And I think you made a, an important point, Charles, about the, the, the domestic issues of the next election, actually, making sure people, are, we, we see the light post-Brexit. I think, I mean, I do a lot of politicians see that, you know, the investment in infrastructure as being that way forward to get things going again, I suppose. I, I think most politicians are desperate to get beyond Brexit, yeah. as long as they get the Brexit they want. So <laughs> we're stuck in that bind at the moment. And in a way, I always felt the best time for a leadership election was after Brexit was sorted or uh, resolved one way or the other. And then you were going to be choosing a post-Brexit prime minister, setting a new agenda. And just saying, that's the way the world is, let's get on with it. I think it's unfortunate that we're going to have a continuing squabble for a while until the way forward is clear. But then I think they're all desperate to get on to these other wider issues. And I think we'll start to see a more expansionary approach being taken as an economic justification for doing that as well. And we'll start to see a real sort of focus and a real vision for how we start to see those projects, how they materialise. So uh, we're a little way off it yet, but... I would be very surprised if whoever becomes Prime Minister hasn't got a, a package of proposals they want to unveil immediately mm -hmm. for how they're going to start to see it happening. 
Looking back to your, your, your former job in, in energy, obviously the Prime Minister, the former Prime Minister, Theresa May, has recently come out and announced her, her net zero target for, for 2050. Uh, good news, I think it's fair to say, but, but how do we ensure that that continues? How does the, do we make sure the next Prime Minister is going to take that forward and, and keep it going? I'm slightly tempted to say it's a shame we haven't seen this throughout the Premiership. Mm-hmm. It's the final days of her Premiership when she's putting in a new proposal of enormous magnitude. And actually, it would have been quite useful to have had greater clarity that that was the ambition over a longer period. And so I did the review for the government on tidal lagoons, which they rejected. And they said it was too expensive, uh, taking a view of short-term costs rather than long-term benefits. And if we want to be zero carbon, we've got to be bolder. And we need a huge amount of investment in the electricity infrastructure. We've got to have more clean electricity if we're going to have electric vehicles because there's no point having electric vehicles which are powered from electricity from gas power stations. So we've got to have a a huge transformation in the energy sector. I think it's very positive. I think it's exactly the right way to be going. And uh, we will see an enormous amount of new investment coming into the UK because of it and a lot of innovation happening here as well. So it's a big plus just to it could have happened earlier. Mm. But it has to happen, doesn't it? Because it's, there's a societal shift, yes. isn't there? There's a fundamental shift. And I, the, the sort of, you know, I don't know what policies and all the rest of it are going to be happening when there's a the next general election. But for one thing, it would be certain is if you haven't got a very clear environmental agenda, Absolutely. you're not going to get into power, are you? And I, I think there's going to be a jockeying for position for that yes. environmental space, which then links into quite a lot of the things that we're talking about and the importance of efficient transport, yes. um, clean, efficient transport. Do you think the private sector is ready for this? So I'm thinking in terms of skills and also in terms of resources otherwise to actually deliver this vision. Because again, it strikes me that this is one of those visions that you know we have to come together if we're going to achieve it. You, you said the word there, have to, and necessity is the mother of invention and <laughs> create, creates creativity and the rest. I mean, I look at this organisation, and I know this isn't a sell job on a podcast, but I look at this, you know, I do look at this organisation and I look at how we're built and what we do with respect to our projects and the lens that we look through, you know, in terms of environmental and lean and sustainability and all the rest of it. And you mentioned, uh, Charles mentioned, you know, our modular offer. Well, you know, when you look at that, and you know, I'm not going to go into the details of it, but, you know, we know around here, you know, it answers a social value question. It answers an environmental, you know, sustainable question. It answers a need, you know, in terms of housing. It answers a need in terms of advanced manufacturing, in terms of productivity, using digital and, and all the rest of it and those things. So there are organisations like this. And we were, we just had an executive meeting. We just came away from the last couple of days. And it was very much of we have to lead. We, we have to lead this because we are built for this. And I think, you know, it's not just us, there are other organisations too. And I think, you know, we will, we just have to stand up and we will lead. And I think there are the skills here and I think there's the appetite for it. And as long as there's the political will, it'll, it'll be good. Excellent. Look, I mean, I think we could go on for hours talking about this and we've managed to do pretty well and not gone into Brexit too much, I think. And <laughs> Boris I, I was in there. I should have been counting. I didn't keep a tally, uh, no, to be no, honest. No, it was, it was probably enough. It was probably <laughs> enough. Look, gentlemen uh, and Raymond, of course, thank you very much. I mean, it, it, it's exciting times that we're living in. As I said at the very top of the podcast, exciting and, and some might say worrying. But I, Charles, I hope you're right. I hope that the, the new Prime Minister will come in and see a, a great opportunity to stamp their authority and, uh, and come up with some great ways forward for infrastructure and, and hopefully get us post 
through the other side of the, the B word. <laughs> you nearly slipped up. I know, there. I nearly slipped up. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and please leave us a review. And of course, tell your friends. We'll be back in a couple of weeks time with the next episode. And until then, take care and goodbye.